This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 10th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Economic development is tough, and understanding how economic development occurs is no less problematic. Arnold Kling is co-author of a new book, From Poverty to Prosperity, Intangible Assets, Hidden Liabilities, and the Lasting Triumph Over Scarcity. In it, Kling and co-author Nick Schultz interview economists about big subjects, not the least of which is how little we really understand about how our explosion of wealth occurred in these last 200 years. Innovation and entrepreneurship are amazingly good things. And the other idea is that predatory government and corruption are amazingly bad things. And to to talk about the amazingly good aspect of it, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, 26 years old, just moved to Arizona. She'd never been you know, off the East Coast before, and just moved to Arizona, new city. She did it without a map, without a newspaper, without a landline phone. She finds an apartment, finds finds a used car, without any of those things. Um, just using things like her laptop at McDonald's, using Wi-Fi, using a cell phone, using a GPS. You know, lots of internet to connections and so on. And if you think about it, it's amazing. She couldn't have, you know, back when she was born, this stuff didn't exist. You didn't have Craigslist or CarMax or all these technologies. Uh, so it really is amazing. And then if you, you know, were to go back to a little over 100 years, you know, the fact that we're talking about a car, the fact that she flew out there, um, it's amazingly rapid change. And it... And it, it's not always been that way. If you go back a thousand years, you know, maybe every hundred years or so, somebody comes up with a slight variation on a plow or a new harness or something. And that's a, you know, the the pace of innovation is tremendous, and that innovation and which has been driven by entrepreneurs and by lots of trial and error, uh, has produced an incredibly wealthier society now than years ago. And that's an intangible factor. You know, when you take economics, what you learn is that the factors of production are labor, land, and capital, all these things that you can measure and see and count. But entrepreneurial innovation isn't in there, and it's not something that you can see and count. It's not something that even has diminishing returns. Uh, So it's a completely different type of economics, and we call that in our book Economics 2.0 to distinguish it from the other. You describe it as economics 2.0, but it wasn't like that the idea didn't exist, that the importance of uh, this knowledge and being able to profit from it wasn't uh, wasn't extremely important. I mean, you go back to Mises or Hayek, and Mises said labor is not just you assembling widgets. It's the knowledge that you bring to bear on the task itself. That's fair. But if you look at most classical economics, uh, especially on economic growth, the focus is on capital. If you ask somebody in the 1950s, you know, what produces economic growth? It's accumulation of capital. What counts for the difference in standard of living between a poor country and a rich country? It's capital. They would have looked for machines. I mean, this is all a legacy of Marx. Um, but starting in the 50s, they real, you realize that there's this huge residual that you need to explain, that, that, that capital, labor, and land don't explain economic growth, and that's innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, and then when you get trying to explain the difference between the United States and Zimbabwe, again, you don't look for physical factors of production, 
There you look for this issue of predatory government, corrupt government. So institutions are what matter in the difference in the huge differences of standard of living that still exist today between poor countries and rich countries. Why are so many people so dismissive of these important factors of entrepreneurship? Is it simply that they can't be uh, examined easily? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I th- maybe maybe our book will change that because it's you know it's a the big focus is on on these intangible factors. Uh, and we interview several economists who maybe people don't read ordinarily, but they're well-known and they're you know, well-established economists who talk about the importance of entrepreneurship and innovation. And we also interview several economists who talk about the importance of institutions, of pre- how, how predatory and corrupt government can hold back a country and make it much less productive than the than the potential it has given its... Uh, labor capital in the state of technology. You talked to William Easterly, who has spent a long time sort of uh, exploding myths of development economics. Um, I recently heard Deidre McCloskey talking about essentially the, the history of wealth around the world and that we're still trying to really figure out what happened uh, to create this uh, hockey stick of wealth around the world that it just shot up in the last uh, 200 years or so. Uh, and it, it, her story makes it seem all the more arrogant of development economists to persist, even in many circles today, in this belief that uh, just sprinkling capital or, as uh, you call it, magic powder over some country, that growth, self-sustaining growth, can just get going. Right. We, we don't know the answers. Several of the economists that we interview in the book emphasize that. Easterly emphasizes it. Solo emphasizes it. Other economists emphasize it. And uh, Douglas North would emphasize it. You know, we're learning more, and I think Douglas North, who uh, has a great interview in the book, and Bill Easterly, who has a great interview in the book, get us a lot closer to understanding and understanding that you have to take the cultural basis of a society is given. You can't just sort of come in to a culture and say, well, we're going to take the, all the institutions that work in culture A and we're going to dump them on culture B and expect them to function properly. You, in fact, have to start from the existing culture. And Easterly would say you have to search by trial and error. Again, it's a great interview in the book. It's one of the highlights of the book. What does your book mean for the role of government as understood now and how you would like people to understand it? It it seems that government needs to help the cultural values and institutions that are conducive to growth, but mostly stay out of the way otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because so much of the growth comes from trial and error, uh, and trial and error is handled much more effectively by the institutions of entrepreneurship and market competition than it is by bureaucracy and central planning. And because growth is so dependent on this trial and error process that you it's certainly a mistake to think in terms of government-led growth, of uh, government-planned growth. The, you have to think in terms of government working to support a culture that's conducive to growth. 
Arnold Kling is co-author of the new book, From Poverty to Prosperity, Intangible Assets, Hidden Liabilities, and the Lasting Triumph Over Scarcity. You can read some of Kling's other work at Cato.org.